Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about how to support kids with learning challenges. And that's why we're excited to introduce you to today's sponsor, Florio. Florio leverages the power of virtual reality to teach social, behavioral, communication, and life skills to individuals with autism spectrum disorder. Their research-backed evidence-based learning program is used by prestigious organizations, including the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Immersive, repeatable lessons provide practice in situations difficult to replicate in the home or in school settings. Learners practice in a safe and reinforcing manner. And they are budget-friendly. Genius. We love them, which is why you can find them at edcuration.com. Click the Connect to Vendor button on their page to learn more. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Rolanda Fabian, who is the founder and CEO of Bright Idea Educational Consulting, IDEA being the abbreviation for the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. IDEA is the federal law that supports special education related to services for children with special needs, and it spans the ages of 3 to 21. There are 13 different categories in the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, so it's a lot to digest. Dr. Fabian is going to help us understand some of the ways that we can help schools and families to support those students who fall into these 13 different categories. In addition to her 20 years of expertise in educational leadership and exceptional special education, Dr. Fabian is also a U.S. Army and National Guard veteran. She holds degrees in teaching and learning, educational leadership, counseling, student services, and psychology. That's a whole lot of education and expertise under one belt. Her specialty areas include federal and state compliance in Section 405, Americans with Disability Act, ADA, Individuals with Disability Education Act, IDEA, and the Every Student Succeeds Act, ESSA. Inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility are at the core of her practice, which is why she has made her trainings and resources readily available to not only educators, but also to differently abled individuals and their family members. I asked Dr. Fabian to share with us the story that led her to founding Bright Idea. I was studying counseling. There was a lot of overlap with the education program. And so after graduating, I decided, "Mm, I'm just going to go into counseling. I'm going to give it a try. But the first job I was offered was at a school. And it was a school that had a a vacancy for a special education teacher, self-contained. And they needed someone who was more versed in counseling because the students had had a traumatic experience and they needed um, a teacher who could kind of cope with some of the things that might be happening in that classroom. And so I thought, 
I don't know if that's for me. Well, turns out it was exactly the thing that I needed. I thought I would just do it for a year, you know, fill in the gap until they found someone else. And then I never wanted to leave. <laughs> and so that's how I ended up in special education. Um, and one of my focuses at the very beginning was I don't like the idea that these students are shut off from their peers. I wanted to integrate my students as much as I could um, after giving them the skills and supports that they needed. And I had a great team of people who were on board with that initiative and we worked together and we integrated those students um, who you know who were ready for that and worked other ones in as they could be and it was one of the most rewarding um, experiences in my life can you say a little bit more about how you found it rewarding because in my mind I'm picturing the appeal of really layering on the skills at those bottom rungs of, of Maslow's hierarchy, right? And so that you can see kids empowered to achieve at those higher levels of self-actualization, right? And learning and actually absorbing new content because you're laying that foundation of belonging and safety for them. Um, can you talk about what you found so fulfilling about that? Absolutely. Well, um, I, the first thing was just building that relationship with those students. And as we built that relationship and built that trust, and they knew that school could be, was a safe environment where they could aspire to other things instead of worrying about, uh, you know, things that might have been going on at home or things that might have been happening in their age group because I worked with middle schoolers. I left that part out. That was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they were going through a lot, just a lot of changes overall. But once we established that relationship and um, that environmental, um, like we had almost our separate own little world in that classroom. Um, and, and that was the place for a lot of them where they started to really see beyond the circumstances, the trauma, the situation, that to, to imagine that they could actually score on a standardized test. They could do well and, and they could have peers that did not have a disability and they could go into those general education classrooms and come back to the safety and talk about their experience and work through whatever it was that they needed. And they knew um, at any point um, that they could always come back to our classroom, our safe place. So having that safe place just really gave them, I guess, the foundation to really blossom. Um, so can you talk, I'm guessing at some point um, you decided that you were seeing some gaps that weren't being filled. And it's not that our schools, they're not failing to meet the needs. They're, in, they're not equipped, right? They're, they're, they don't have the level of support that they need to meet all of the needs of the diverse learners that come through our doors. Would you agree with that? I would. I, and having been a teacher, um, I know that as time has gone on, there's been less and less time or, or opportunity um, or even inclination sometimes to make sure that teachers get that professional development that they need. So I would definitely say that, yes, we're, we have all these resources, but it is, the day is jam packed. It is hard to fit in 
everything that needs to happen in a classroom on a typical day. Um, and you layer that with these, you know, some the students' needs. Some students have very significant needs. Layer that with the students' needs, and um, and it's it's just difficult for teachers. I, from my experience, I know that teachers really, really want to do a great job. They want to be there for students, and they want to be there for parents, and they want to. They show up every day, and they give 110 percent because they love it, and that's what they want to do. Um, but it is just so exhausting and overwhelming when you have so much on such a small plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm guessing this was the impetus for you in starting Bright Idea. Can you give listeners an overview of the kinds of things that they can find and access at Bright Idea Consulting? How do you work with schools? Yes. Well, Bright Idea Consult. And let me say this too. Bright Idea is the spinoff of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. But for me, IDEA stands for Inclusive, Diverse, Equitable, and Accessible, because I believe that education should be that for all students. And so I, I up until nine months ago, I was an administrator in schools. I was uh, an administrator for the district and the special education department. And what my role was, was to make sure that we had compliance. We met compliance when it came to providing uh, special education services to students. And I will tell you, oftentimes there were issues with compliance, not because um, we didn't know or we, we just couldn't do it. It was it, The issues were often because like I said before, the day is so jam-packed. There's so many requirements. This, we're understaffed. Um, we're uh, under-resourced. I started Bright Idea was because of two things. One, teachers, like I said before, need that strong professional development so that they know how to meet the needs, how to make an environment inclusive, how to, how to address diversity, how to make sure that there's equity in the classroom setting, in the school setting, and how to make sure that everything that's accessible to a student that doesn't have a disability is made accessible to a student with a disability. And so in doing that, what I found though, that it's not, I can't be one-sided. I can work with teachers and equip and prepare them, but I also have to make sure parents know what to expect. So a lot of my work lately has been working with parents to make sure that they understand the, the statutes that are in special education, to make sure that they understand collaborative advocacy, because I did see the relationship between parents and schools break down too many times. So let's make sure that everybody knows what they need to know so that they can come to the table with the things that they need to do to prepare and work together and meet the need of that particular child. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking as you're talking about parents, I've seen this from the side of an educator and also as a parent myself, and as the friend of other parents who have kids with special needs, that it feels overwhelming and almost a full-time job when you're the parent trying to figure out how to get services and how to get your, your child's needs met. 
or even get your child, you know, diagnosed and tested and figure out what those needs are and what accommodations can be afforded to them. So one of the things that I know that you offer at Bright Idea is advocacy. And I was hoping you could explain the role of an advocate and how it's helpful to both the families and educators to work with an advocate. Yeah. From my perspective, everybody is an advocate. If you sit at that table, every person at that table should be focused on the child and what the child needs. So that's the perspective that I come from when I'm sitting at a special education meeting, whether that's 504, IDEA, um, even if it's a parent conference for a child that has a special need, I'm sitting there saying, it's not me against you. We're all here because we all need to make sure that this child gets what he or she needs to be successful in school and in life. And so advocacy is not... um, us against them. Advocacy is all of, all of us together against the, that thing, whatever that thing is. So that is my, my perspective when it comes to advocacy. And that's what I bring to the table. We're collectively advocating for the needs of, of the child. And I, want, I don't think you can be an effective advocate if you are uninformed. So that is why it is so important to to know the statutes, to have access to that information, to know the resources, because the more informed you are, the better you're able to collectively advocate. I can give you an example. I've been in meetings where there have been parents who thought that the school wasn't doing what they needed to do for their child. Uh, uh, Specifically, it took them too long to evaluate my child. When I have a conversation with the parent, I'm explaining that it, they were actually within the time frame that IDEA allows. IDEA allows 60 days from the time that you sign that document for the school to complete that evaluation. And just having a parent understand that little piece helps them to understand that, oh, I didn't just sign the paper and it happens all today. It, it takes time. Um, and and that, was the, that can be the bridge between they're not doing their job to I just need to let this process play itself out. And then on the flip side, if the uh, evaluation is late, my job is to say to the school, you know, that actually is out of compliance. What can we do to make sure that we expedite this, to get this going and and push this along? Because you have a child here who's waiting on services. And so then you have the parent working with the school. Maybe they couldn't get in touch with the parent to finish the evaluation, or maybe they didn't have the child at school enough to get the evaluation done. And having both sides understand what needs to be done and then bringing them together to work through that issue, you know, that is the kind of advocacy that I'm working toward. I'm curious, who hires Bright Idea? Is it the parents, is it the school, or is it both? We've had both. Sometimes schools will hire us to come in and do professional development for teachers to kind of get them on the same page, to work with their special education departments, because sometimes you just need to hear the message from a different person to make it stick. So sometimes it's schools that hire us. A lot of the times it's parents who hire us because they, they, are at their wits end. They don't know where to go, 
what to do. They know they need to do something. They, they really don't have the time or the resources. So what we've done is we've taken um, the time you suspect that your child has a disability all the way through them receiving services and beyond into a series of courses. And so what they do, what parents do is we guide them through those courses. And as they're going through the courses, we, we help them assess their own situation and kind of make sure they get the questions together to get meetings together, to prepare for those meetings, to be prepared to have those courageous conversations and have that dialogue. What we want to do is to empower and equip the parent so that we're not constantly in the middle. Because while we are uh, all advocates and we start out as being the mediators, eventually we want parents to feel um, comfortable in schools to have a relationship with parents so that we don't always have to be in the middle. The goal is for the school and the parent to be able to do this without a third party because it can be done and it's, it works best when it's done that way. Well, and I, after spending some time on your website and looking at all of the resources you have, there are free resources. I saw some of your videos and your courses and it seems like the first place to start always is just learning the language. It's a complete new language and set of abbreviations and acronyms. And what does all of that even mean can be so overwhelming, I think, for a parent. Would you suggest that that would be the place for a parent to start? Absolutely. So anyone who follows us knows that I am constantly putting information out there, free information out there. We, we blog it. Um, we have videos that I do. I, just a minute clinic. Just one, give me one minute and I'll give you one tip that you can take and you can use um, on our YouTube channel. Special education is a language, like you said, in and of itself. Sometimes it is intimidating to sit at a table and hear things like FAPE and IEP and um, LRE, EDD. Yes, all those things. Idea, you know. To sit at a table and hear all that, you can get lost in that conversation. So what we've prepared are um, printouts, PDFs that parents can just go and print out that has a, a list of, it's like three pages of the most common um, acronyms that you're going to find in special education. So when you are sitting at that table and someone says, uh, well, we're supposed to provide FAPE. You say, well, hold on, stop that. Let me let me just look at my list, find out what FAPE is, a free and appropriate public education. Okay, I'm ready, <laughs> you know, just so that they can have that resource right there in their hand and follow that conversation. Um, so yeah, we do have lots of free resources. We give away a lot of information. It's so helpful, Rolanda, and not just for parents, because like you were saying, more and more districts are granting less and less release time for their teachers to do professional development and professional learning. And so a lot of general ed teachers don't know. They don't know this necessarily the statues. They're not well read on um, Section 504. I wasn't as a gen ed teacher. I didn't understand all the terms. And I love your minute clinics. Give just one example of something that you might cover in a minute clinic. Sure. So uh, we've been talking about FAPE. I have a minute clinic that's specifically about FAPE. It talks about what FAPE means, what FAPE is. Um, FAPE means free and appropriate public education. What free looks like is at no cost to the parent. Public means at education uh, schools that are within that parent's or the child district. Um, 
pub, uh, appropriate means it meets the needs of the child. And those, you know, I can't go into in a minute clinic all that that means, but I mean, it, it fits whatever the specific needs of that child is. And education means everything up under the umbrella of, of um, educating a child um, in the school setting. We talk about FAPE, we talk about LRE, we talk about special education categories, we talk about 504, um, we are about to do a new one on ESSA, a minute clinic on ESSA, but what we do in that, it's really a two minute video, but in 60 seconds we try to hit the high point of a different topic in special education. Yeah. So I actually wanted to ask you about ESSA. Um, and for our listeners who may not know, that's the Every, Chi- or Every Student Succeeds Act. And it was, I can't remember what year, but it was legislated by the Obama administration. Correct. Yes. Uh, it was signed into legislation. Um, gosh, Chrissy, I can't remember the year either. I should know off the top of my head. The Every Child Succeeds Act. ESSA, was signed into law December 10th, 2015, replacing its troublesome and controversial predecessor, the No Child Left Behind Act, NCLB, just to throw a few more acronyms your way. Are you taking notes? Don't panic if you're not. There won't be a test at the end. Why? Because NCLB is no longer the boss of us. The reason that NCLB needed to be expanded is because it, it focused so heavily on um, on testing. One of the things ESSA does is it it gives the power back to the schools, back to the the states. So NCLB was federal, ESSA is state, and the state monitors what needs to happen as far as education for for students. It um, so ESSA does not take away from IDEA. It actually adds IDEA. ESSA makes sure that students with disabilities are included in the monitoring, are included in the providing of services. It, it supports things like making sure that every child has access to services and uh, education equally, fairly, equitably. So they work together to make sure that students who have special needs get the services and supports that they need. So I'm just curious and and thinking about parents, you know, it's one thing to advocate for your child in an IEP meeting, but how do parents know if those accommodations are actually being provided and carried out successfully on a daily basis? You know what? And see, that's that question. I love this question. And this is the main reason why we say that parents and schools have to work together. Any advocate who goes into a meeting and puts a wedge between the parent and the school is doing the family and the school and the child a disservice. In order for parents to kind of make sure that the services their child is supposed to be getting, the ones listed in that IEP are being done in the school, there has to be a two-way street of communication. So one of the ways that parents can make sure that this is happening is in that meeting, I always ask questions like, if we're going to have a person who's doing a daily check-in with my child, per se, for example, who's going to be that person? In that IEP, you should know who that person is going to be. How will I know that 
ask the question in the meeting. How will I know that that's being done? And there are different ways you can do that. We can give you a weekly summary that we send home with your child. Um, we can do a daily summary. Um, there are progress reports that are naturally built into any IEP. Like there are reports that go home every time that a report card goes home. And those reports are to make sure that what's happening in the classroom is, is um, to let you track how your child is progressing with what's happening in their IEP. When I work with preschoolers, parents want to know on a regular basis, hey, how did my child do today? Were they saying anything? Sometimes I'd be the first one to hear the first word. So I needed to make sure that that parent in their journal, I had kept a journal and I would just write a simple summary of that child's day. And I know that's a lot for a teacher, but it, it, you, you can't imagine how far something like that will go in building a relationship with the parent. If a parent is giving you their child and they feel comfortable saying that, I know that my child is in good hands, that is half the battle. That is half the um, struggle. Once they trust you, they don't need to know all the details of what's going on every day, but those things that the child is working on, they do need to know because guess what they're doing at home? They're supporting you and what you're doing so that this is a two-way street. That two-way street is built with communication and consistency. For neurodiverse learners on the autism spectrum, today's sponsor provides an amazing tool that can be used at school and at home to reinforce skills and practices. This is Vijay. I'm a father of a child with ASD and the founder of Florio a virtual reality platform for teaching social communication and independent living skills. We're proud to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. At Florio, we empower neurodiverse students by giving them an environment that is safe, controllable, repeatable, and dignified in which to practice the skills that will make their lives more fulfilling and enriched. You'll find Florio at edcuration.com. Let's talk about the other side of that equation, which is that classroom teacher which I think, you know, depending on what the disability is and what the model of the school is, and um, that child is probably spending most of their time in a gen ed classroom, right? So they're integrated. And those gen ed teachers might have five, six, seven different um, IEPs in a classroom or kiddos who, who require some kind of special accommodation. And as you mentioned earlier, it's everybody's best intention to deliver the best opportunities and, and the best educational tools to all of our students all the time, but we're overtaxed. And so what can a gen ed teacher do who feels like, I don't know how to meet, I, I don't have the tools and or the training that I need to deliver all these accommodations to meet all the needs of these diverse learners? That, that's a great question. Um, and so my first advice would be communicate with the child's case manager. So every child who has a disability at the school has a case manager. They have a teacher who's assigned to make sure that there are someone's tracking that IEP and what's happening in that IEP. If you are a gen ed teacher and you're having a difficult time meeting the needs of a student with a disability in your class or tracking the information, the one of the roles of a special education teacher is to simplify that process for you. Maybe they can create a checklist for you. One of the great things you can do to help build students' um, skills 
and self-advocacy is to get them involved. You know, maybe the student carries around that checklist and maybe you make it their responsibility to make sure that it gets turned into the teacher or they go up to the Jeanette teacher and say, can you do my chart for today? So check with your um, special education teacher, the child's case manager, and they may be able to give you some tips, some tools, even some resources to help make tracking that information easier and keeping that communication line open. Yeah. I think um, it's important to create that culture too, where the teacher feels comfortable saying, I can't, I can't deliver this, or I don't know how to deliver this, or I'm not able to deliver it and not feel like it's a failure on that teacher's part, but that um, we're actually all just pushing for what's best for the student. And if I can't give that, then I need to make sure that that student's getting it somehow. Yeah. And you know, that's going back to the professional development. So this is one of the reasons that I, I do go into schools. Sometimes I go in to do observations just to kind of see what's going on in a classroom to see if I can provide some support and resources in that way. A lot of schools have also um, developed teams that are they're called different things in different places, but basically they are people who are like program support. They go in and they um, provide uh, strategies, they provide tools, they provide resources, they do observations, they do modeling, they do all kinds of um, support in lieu of professional development. This is what I see a lot of schools doing. They're not a co-teacher, but they're there to pro provide support to general education teachers who have students with disabilities in their classroom and they're struggling to meet those needs. So um, you are so right, Christy, when you talk about the culture of a school, um, and, and I would even say the culture of a district, because it, it starts from the top. Everybody has to understand that our students with special needs are our students first. They're students with special needs, but they're students first. I would love to hear a success story from your work with Bright Idea. And I know you guys launched just prior to, I, I think, just prior to the pandemic. Am I, am I right with my dates? You absolutely did. I know, right? How crazy <laughs> to go and start this program right before, um, well, just actually just after we closed schools for uh, the pandemic just before I left my job as a, a, a district administrator in special education, um, one of my responsibilities was to make sure that we had a plan for addressing the needs of students with disabilities who were not going to be able to come to school. I mean, and they needed things like occupational therapy. Um, they needed uh, physical therapy and speech language services. I mean, they needed things that were very hands-on. We had some students who were um, in self-contained settings and now they're at home. They have behaviors. I mean, it's just, it was just tough. So what is happening with those kids? Yes. Yeah. A lot of the times in the beginning, when we were trying to figure it out, we were giving them a, um, a modified plan to to their IEP. So some of the services that were really hands-on, we weren't able to provide initially. So we would get them just the services that we could, anything that we could do virtually. It was tough. I will not, you know, I can't even lie. That was rough. But this has gone on now for what, we're coming up on our year anniversary of, of students being um, educated at home or virtually. So 
we can't just continue to have students go on without services. Um, we've had to figure out some really creative ways to get services to those students. Um, stu schools have done things like provided uh, vouchers for students to go to meet um, with physical therapy professionals and um, agencies who were able to meet that face-to-face hands-on service that schools were not able to do. An example of, of where this is happening and it's happening well. I have a parent with a child that has autism and this child is pretty high on the spectrum intellectually, like academically, he can do the work, but socially, emotionally, um, he really, really struggles. And so you can imagine how difficult it's been for him because he's taken out of that social arena that he once had with the ability to go to school and he's at home now and he's not getting those the access to the socialization that he needs to address his um, that the social needs that he has so one of the things that we have done is we have set up a system through the school um, and this was with the IEP team and this is with the parent working with the school um, to have him come in for um, some of his socialization they've gotten um, virtual monitors and you should see his face light up when he goes into his virtual setting and he's able to access his peers and have conversation over time what they have learned is how to socialize through this way now this doesn't replace um, face to face but it is one of the ways that we've been able to get him that social him and his peers that socialization to meet that need as well as his online learning through his math, social studies, science, reading. So that has been working for him. This young man is going to be ready next year. The plan is for him to go back into the school setting. So everything that they've done over this year to slowly build him up from this massive change to get slowly back acclimated to going to school. I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, that we're all going to need a little bit of resocialization. You know, we're kind of like, I was talking to a friend and we were laughing about how we're a little bit like the lab rats who, you know, we're, we were, we've been caged for so long that we've come become programmed to our captivity. And then they're going to at some point open the door and we, we won't go out. <laughs> we'll, just, well, I'll just stay huddled in the corners, right? Thinking, I don't know, is it safe out there? I'm not sure how to talk to people anymore. Yeah. Can you imagine the, the uh, kindergartners who's this was their first year of school? They don't know school the way other students who've been in school know it. So it's going to be a, a big difference for them. Such a big difference. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, it's so encouraging to talk to you and hear about the great work that you're doing in the world because this is an area where I think all districts and schools could use more support, you know, and, and as you said, we all have the best intentions, but we have, you know, a tiny pat of butter and an enormous piece of toast, right? And the butter only spreads so far. And um, I think that there probably just needs to be a bright idea in every state, but do you work in more places than just Florida? We, we work across the U.S. Um, we have, that's one of the big pushes that I've had in making our courses um, 
available online um, because I needed to make sure that more people could access those courses and get that foundational information when it comes to statutes and when it comes to co uh, collaborative advocacy. So I have made those courses available. And we also have partnerships with different, um, in different states. We do understand that, you know, um, statutes vary a little from state to state, but, but federal, you know, IDEA is a federal law. So that doesn't change. It just looks different with how a state might um, implement the law. But um, the, the, that's why the foundation of what we do is IDEA. Um, and then we build and adjust to the state that we're working with to make sure we're meeting those needs. And you've mentioned statutes several times. And I've purposely not asked you for a lot of detail around that because I know that that information is available on your website. Um, so talk to us for a minute about where people can find you and who should look for you. Like if you're a parent do, who has this situation, if you're an educator who has this situation, like who should reach out to, to Bright Idea and where? Reach out to Bright Idea if you're a parent who you've hit a brick wall. You've been trying to work with the school and for whatever reason, it's just not working for you. Um, and then if you're an educator who's looking for just some easy to follow, uh, just break it down for me. I don't need the whole law. I just need to know what I need to know in the law. So Bright Idea is, is that um, company for, for that collaboration piece or that um, information, that, that statute piece. Because you're right, the statute is out there. If I go and I visit the statute, I listen, I, I monitor, I find out what's going on in the statute all the time. But if that is not your wheelhouse, it just happens to be mine. It's hard to follow. So we make it easily accessible to those that's not their wheelhouse. Um, and um, so you're, if you're that person, you're that parent who just needs to know how, what, I, what do I need to know and how do I work with the school system, you need to reach out to Bright Idea. We can show you how and walk you through that. And same for the educators. Um, if you need professional development, you need your staff to just get it to just, we're the ones that you want to call uh, for that. Okay. And they can find you at, how, where are all the places they can find you? You can go to our website, brightideaco.com. And there you can find our social media links. Um, we're on we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, Instagram, we have YouTube, we're on LinkedIn. So we're, we try to be as visible and out there as we possibly can for those who need to, you know, we want to make ourselves accessible, just like we want to make education accessible. What a relief that there are resources like a bright idea to help us all navigate the quagmire of special education legislation, tools, and services. You'll find all of Dr. Fabian's and Bright Ideas links in the episode notes. You'll also find today's sponsor, Florio. Were you thinking about Florio when Dr. Fabian was sharing her success story about providing a virtual platform for her student on the autism spectrum to practice his communication and social skills during remote learning? I was, because that's exactly what they've created. And you don't even have to wait for the next pandemic. God forbid to take advantage of this super fabulous resource. Kelly Hargrave, special education teacher at Staley Middle School in Frisco, Texas said, quote, 
I have never had students so excited about learning before introducing them to Florio. Now my students can't wait to come to my class because of this awesome program. I cannot thank Florio enough. It brought tears to my eyes just seeing how much excitement they had about continuing their learning during their summer break. I absolutely love Florio because it allows the kids to experience hands-on, different learning environments, which really helps them internalize and retain information." End quote. Visit edcuration.com to find Florio and all the other great resources that you've needed and dreamed of, but maybe didn't know that someone has already created them. And they are waiting patiently at Ed Curation, like a middle school kid at a dance, for you to find them and put them to work. Shop Ed Curation to enhance the learning in your classroom, school, or district. You'll find trending topics, lots of free pilot opportunities, and a menu of easy, free, bite-sized professional learning opportunities. If you found this episode helpful, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and join us again next week on the Ed Curation Podcast to reshape learning.